I'm an eager beaver today, apparently. Um, I am not drinking Maker's Mark tonight. Wait, do you usually? Every night or when we record? When we record. Uh, I think I have once or twice. I wouldn't say usually. So you're doing the show buzzed and you haven't told us and you haven't given us the chance no, to get buzzed? No, no, no. I just poured myself a glass of Silver Tree Vodka, which is this esoteric vodka out of uh, Colorado that my dad swears by. And it is pretty damn smooth, I have to say. Esoteric? Yeah, it's odd. It's different. It's not mainstream. Now I'm a hipster. Look at me go. I'm not crazy about the term hipster because it seems like it's, it's kind of like fanboy where it seems <laughs> like people say it to – I think what hipster means is that person is cool in a way that I'm not and I don't like that. <laughs> like isn't that kind of what that means? Yeah, I, I could get That's by not that. what hipster means. No, but no, I, well, I think that is – you know, just like, like fanboy usually is like that's somebody who defends the product that I didn't get. That I probably wish I had. That, yeah, like that. Yeah, especially that. If especially like that, you know, if I have some kind of doubt that I made the wrong choice, <laughs> you know, like that. And like to me, hipster is like those people are cool either in a way that I'm not, or in a way that I don't really understand why people think that is cool. I think that's fair, John. What's your definition? I mean, I know it's not the dictionary definition, but what's your? Definition? Is there a dictionary definition? <laughs> I, just, I went to Urban Dictionary. and I'm looking it up. Of course, the the definition of hipster in Urban Dictionary looks like it was written by a hipster. But what can we do? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> wow. Aye. All right. So on a more. What uh, Marco was trying to get on you about is that it's esoteric, not esoteric. It's not a long e. That's not even an alternate pronunciation. Oh, fine then. Uh, well, in that case, then I am drunk, uh, even though I've had two <laughs> sips of this drink that I poured five minutes ago. You, you was, there was a possibility it was an alternate pronunciation. If we learned anything from correcting Glenn, it's that a lot of words have alternate pronunciations that you've never heard, but this is not one of them, according to the OS Ten dictionary. Oh, well, good to know. So, any follow-up? Because I actually do not have any. Other than you guys disliking backing into parking spots, nothing that we've ever said has been wrong. No, everything we've said has been correct. And please email Marco. And on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have a question for you, Marco. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I'd like to hear John's two cents afterwards. Uh, why do you lease cars? This is actually a really good question. I, I, uh, I was hoping to talk about this soon. Um, I, I touched on it briefly in a few episodes back, and I, I didn't really address it properly. I've, so I've done, as, as I've said before, I've done all three. I've, I've bought... Like I've I've financed a uh, a new car, I've bought a u or I've owned a used car. It was it was bought for me, but I, I've had a used car, a new car that was financed, and a new car that was leased. And one of the biggest differences, um, we'll get to maintenance in a bit. One of the biggest differences about a lease is the level of ownership stress that you feel. Um, like for instance, uh, when I so the vehicle that I leased is my three series. Um, when I first got it probably three it was like three or four months old and i had i I was in an apartment i had i had to park it outside um i even like i even bought a spot in a uh in like a private lot to to keep it extra safe and you know off the main street parking and everything i wanted this thing to stay nice and uh and so something like four months after i got it uh i noticed a scratch and uh some some dirty handprints on the hood and what appears to have happened is that somebody was uh, bent over the front of my car 
and possibly the snap on their pants or a zipper or something made a nice S-shaped scratch right on the front of the hood. That is awful. Yeah. And, and this was an area where we learned, you know, as I was renting this parking spot, we would occasionally see, like, drunk teenagers hanging out there because it was, it was kind of, it was behind our building and it was kind of like there were some dark areas nearby. So turns out this was really not a great place to park your car. So anyway, a few months old, I got this, this scratch. The, the handprints, fortunately, just washed off. But uh, the scratch was there to remind me of, of what had happened, and it's still there. And when, when I had my Accord, you know, be, besides the door getting backed into and having to replace that whole panel, um, like there was one time where I noticed w- within the first year of having the Accord that there was like a slight, like a slight scratch along the rear quarter panel. Like it looked like I, I had like driven past a, a stick on the road and not seen it or something like that, like, like that kind of scratch. And a really fine, thin scratch. And that, I was so angry. So here was my first new car. I was paying it off for the next five years, and I knew that. I was planning on having it for probably longer than that. You know, when you buy a new car and you come from a family of owning Toyotas for, for decades each, or for, for about a decade each, uh, you, you know, you, t- you tend to think that if you buy a new car, you're probably going to have it for like 10 years. So... I took that so badly on the Honda because I bought it and I and I was I was like I'm going to have to stare at this scratch for 10 years. <laughs> you know. Um now but hold on. Now isn't it also after a while after you get over the fact that that your pristine baby has been damaged, is it not a little bit liberating though because at this point it, it's got a blemish so kind of whatever. That, that, Does that, certain, make sense? that applies in, in any case you get a car. No matter when you get a car, no matter how you're paying for it, no matter how long you're going to have it, that first imperfection really, really sucks. Like that hits you hard. But when, like when, when you know you're going to be owning this car forever, to me, I took those really hard, and I was just so angry. Oh my god, I'm going to be, I'm going to have to deal with this for ten years or get it fixed. It's not really worth getting fixed. Like stuff like that. So. With the lease, though, and with, with my with my hood sex scratch, I, uh, <laughs> I, I mean that's I, I, that's my theory. I don't have any evidence of that, but that's sure. That's exactly what I thought, but I didn't want to interrupt. you. Right. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's fairly obvious. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that and with everything, I have a few other minor scuffs in ver- you know various. Like it looks like somebody tried to enter my back passenger door with a key. So there's like there's like a little scratch in the handle on the I don't know how like you know how when people miss their door with their key and you get little scratches around the keyhole area of the door if there is one mm-hmm. it's like that but on one of the back doors I don't know why anyway so like there's stuff like that in this car but I knowing that it was a lease I knew two things first that I'm turning this car in in three years so you know if you if you have even if you buy a car with the intention of selling it in like three to five years, which a lot of people do, um, it's still not predefined. And so the other thing is, like with the Honda, I got killed on the resale of that because the the dealer who I sold it to could tell that the door had been repainted. I guess like if you look around the edge or something, there's some way to tell. Um, I couldn't I couldn't see the difference, but he could. And so I, I lost a couple thousand dollars of value probably on that car at resale because it had been damaged in an accident, even though it was fixed to my opinion, a perfect fix, but he could tell that it had been damaged. So, you know, when you buy a car, when, when the resale value is not yet determined, you stand to lose 
if there's minor damage. You stand to lose that resale value, whereas on a lease, there's already some allowance built in of what of, of you know what what level of damage they will ignore at the end, or or some limit of how much they're willing to pay for repairing that damage or something like that. Um, that's all predefined. So the stress is, is lessened to me, you know, and I don't know, I actually haven't had my first lease end yet. <laughs> That'll happen in, in, in a couple of months. So, so maybe ask me again then, but I, but like to me, it, it's, it's much easier owning this car, knowing that the end of my ownership of it is predetermined, both time-wise and financially. But it doesn't it also incur a little bit of added stress? And what it, by, by that I mean, I don't know off the top of my head how far I drive in a year, but let's say for argument's sake that I go and I try to lease a car tomorrow, and I assume that I drive 12,000 miles, and I'm at 10,000 miles by June. Now I'm going to be stressed out for the next six months because I either only drive for 2,000 miles or I know that I'm going to pay for it in the end. So I have never leased a car, and, and, and I want to hear John's two cents before I get into my whole history, but doesn't that, does it not also incur an equivalent amount of stress? Well, it depends on what kind of driver you are. Like, you know, certainly one of the problems with, with leasing and one of the reasons why so many people can't or shouldn't lease is if you either drive a whole lot of miles or almost no miles, then, then it's mispriced for you. If you drive a whole lot of miles you're going to pay way too much in overage fees. You know, you should generally try to avoid overage mileage fees. Um, and if you drive almost no miles, then you're paying for a level of depreciation that the car is not really going to have. Um, so, you're, so you're kind of overpaying for that. Um, so certainly, you know, you have to drive within the, the quote, average, I don't know if it actually is an average, but within the average range of miles. Um, I know in the U.S. leases are usually uh, 10, 12, or 15,000 miles per year. Um, I don't know about other countries. A lot, of, as we're learning from the feedback of this show, quite a lot of this stuff is different in other countries, um, especially th- especially involving pricing. But um, but basically, yeah. If if you don't if if you don't know what what amount of driving you're going to have to do in the next few years within any reasonable ballpark, um, or if you do very very little or absolutely a lot, then at least probably isn't the best bet. But for most people. You know they can, and I know with BMW, I think I have to double check this. And I know this is just becoming the BMW show, but that's because they're awesome. Um, I think the uh, oh, I, I think you can go on to your account online and change your mileage until like a month before you turn the car in, like retroactively. So if it turns out that you've driven way more miles than you thought, and you you leased it at ten thousand miles, then you can go in and say. Oh, just bill me as if I leased it for fifteen thousand miles retroactively, and it'll just change it for you. I think I think that's true of BMW. Um, anyway, so that that's how I address the mileage thing, which is basically you know you can look at how much you have driven in the last few years and get some idea of what your average might be. Fair enough, John. What I've always heard about the lease versus buy thing is that uh, if you look at two strategies, one, lease a car every three years, and second, buy a car uh, and drive it until like it gets really old and you need a new one, uh, they'll cost about the same amount of money, uh, but you will have a nicer car if you lease because as soon as it's three years old, you lease a new one, and it's presumably better and nicer than the old car that you were driving, whereas if you buy it and run it until it's dead or close to dead you'll be using that car for at least three leases worth of 
time, right? Uh, the reason I've never considered leasing is because, I mean, I, I like the idea of having a car for a long period of time, so that at least doesn't make sense there. Uh, and I would be, I, I don't know the details of like, say you lease a car and you get into an accident with it. Uh, aren't you losing something when you bring that back? Because you would have to pay to repair the car. And then when the lease ends, as Marco said, they're, they don't want that now damaged and repair card back. So now you're losing out on the, you know, bringing the car back to them. So it's like a double whammy. Well, you know, don't... I, 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 we, we should find out exactly how this is done. I admit I don't know either. As far as I know, when you are leasing a car that is in an accident, it, you just get it repaired the same way you would otherwise. You know, some, Hopefully somebody's insurance pays for it, either yours or the other person's or something, and you just get it fixed. Presumably you have to get it fixed to their specifications. Uh, and I don't know if you have to maybe go to a dealer specifically. Dealers don't usually do body work. Um, so you know, you, maybe you'd have to go to a list of approved people to get it fixed. But th- but when you turn that car in, I don't think they're going to be you know, dinging you by $3,000 because of the reduced value of a car that's been in an accident. Because I think they've already calculated that into their risk, uh, and they've already averaged that into the price that everybody pays. I don't know. I think, that, I think there is a... I, I, like I said, I don't know anything about that, uh, leasing, but I always imagined that if you if you did lease a car, like it's not your car, so if it gets into an accident, you wrecked like their car basically, and they're not going to be happy when you return their car. And I'm assuming they're they are financially protected from this eventuality by things that are bad for you. Well, but I don't. I I, I imagine it's their car about as much as it's the bank's car when you finance a car. Like no, I, quite, I don't. I don't think it's the. Quite it isn't. The same it as it that. is. A, it is a little more involved than that, but. But you know, I mean, they're you know they're a lien holder on my title. I will never get the title um, because I will never have paid it off. You know, <laughs> because I'll just turn it in. But as far as I know, having an accident, as long as you get it repaired, um, you know, to to some level of of satisfaction or standards, as long as you get it repaired properly, I don't think you pay extra at the end. But I I, I will if we're still doing this show in um, June when I'm probably going to have to uh, swap cars. Uh, I will. I will do some follow up on this get, topic, get whatever the, I learn. Get the to an accident before you turn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just ask out. them. <laughs> yeah, just. But another thing too, you know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned like having paid the same amount on average over time, uh, and that's that's presumably because as cars get older, they start requiring more money and maintenance. Um, one of the one of the biggest things with that is that with a lease, it's predictable. And this is this is true to some extent when you buy a new car when you just finance it also. Um, whereas you know over if you have a ten year old car, in any given month it could cost you nothing to maintain, or it could cost you six hundred dollars. And it's it's unpredictable like when stuff is going to break, what it's going to cost. You know, at yeah, some it's point, pretty, it's pretty predictable. I mean, if, <laughs> all all of our car, we've had all our cars for a very long time. Like the car I'm currently driving is ten years old, and the cars we had before were older than that. Like. I, I pretty much know. I could tell you, at least for Hondas anyway, like at, at what mileage, what's going to break, and how much it's going to cost you to repair it, and when you're going to need new brakes, how many sets of new tires you're going to need, <laughs> all that stuff. I don't. The only thing I don't know about is automatic transmissions because I've only ever had manuals. But right, and that, uh, and those are big wild cards because when they when they break, they're expensive. It's bumpy, like it's not flat, but it's kind of like you know, you have the new car time when everything's fine. And then you have like a honeymoon period where nothing is going to break. And then you start around 60,000 miles, start getting into the expensive stuff. And in between there, you have like the normal wear and tear. And maybe you need some new tires and maybe new brake pads and stuff like that. But once you pass 60, then, you know, 
things are going to, you need the timing belt done, which is a big one. You probably need another set of brakes at that point. And it just, you know, you start waiting for the alternator to go somewhere in there. You need a new battery. The water pump's going to go, you know, around a hundred, probably, you know, like things happen, but like at that point, the car has long since paid off. Uh, It's free most months, you know? So it's, that's what I'm saying. Like you will, you'll be driving a cruddier car than the person who was just getting a new lease every, uh, every three years right and and i don't honestly i don't think a lease is is the same or cheaper over time i i would say for sure your method especially if you buy the car used up front uh then i think i think the method of buying buying a car and at least a good car you know like a good like a japanese car something reliable um if you're going to own that for for a long term then i think you're probably coming out ahead of of somebody leasing but yeah the only, the only thing that'll kill you is if you buy an automatic transmission car and the transmission goes after the warranty drivetrain warranty is out <laughs> but before it should because right. that was that's just ridiculous like you know, 105,000 miles <laughs> or no like the Honda Odyssey had a problem with its transmission where there was i don't know if it's a class action lawsuit or something with it the the previous generation of Odysseys the transmissions would go really early and they were super expensive to replace and they weren't under warranty and people were very angry like that just kills your investment cuz you can't resell that you can't do anything you know yeah no one wants no one wants a minivan with a bad transmission but it's not only automatics. Um, I'd made passing reference in the past to the Subaru having some serious drivetrain woes, and not to give you two more reasons to beat on me and my Subaru, but your white uh, Subaru, my white Subaru. Yes, yes. Uh, when it was shoot, I want to say twenty-ish, twenty to forty thousand miles. It was no, it must have been like twenty thousand miles because it was within the thirty-six mile um, drivetrain warranty. I was driving down uh, the road in Charlottesville where I was living at the time, and all of a sudden there was this loud crash, and and I hadn't touched anything. There was no touching. Don't worry, John. Uh, But there was some sort of like crashing sound, and then as I sped up or slowed down, there was a repetitive thumping. And as it turned out, uh, there was something in the rear differential that had broken, and so the rear differential basically got replaced. Then, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, I noticed that one of the gears in in the transmission, I don't recall which one it was, whenever I was in that gear, I felt like the transmission was whinier than usual, and it ended up that they needed to replace something within the transmission, and I knew at the time, and I told myself to look up what it was, because I still have the receipt somewhere, and I completely forgot to do that tonight, but um, they replaced something within the transmission, and while they had all these bits out, I was like, well, screw it, why don't you do the clutch while you're in there, and with an all-wheel drive car, that's a lot of bits to take out just to get to the transmission, so it ended up, it ended up being like three or $4,000 to get that work done, and wow. this was all on my dime because it was well after the warranty ended. So while, John, I think you are absolutely correct that automatics, by and large, are more expensive, depending on your choice of cars and drivetrains, an all-wheel drive car, even with a stick, could also be really darn expensive because there's so much drivetrain to get out of the way in order to repair something like the transmission. Yeah, you lost the uh, the car lottery there. Oh, God. That's what happens. Like, God, I mean, did I ever. It's the same thing with – it's even worse with expensive cars. You just get unlucky and some part of it goes and it's not covered for whatever Byzantine reason they decide that this is not covered under their warranty, for, you know, either because time has elapsed or because it's a, wear, a part that wears out. And it's not – you know, there's, there's always some reason that you're going to be screwed by it. And depending on what goes, you could be in for lots and lots of money. Yeah, Absolutely. and and that's the thing. Like you know, with a lease, it's very predictable. I mean, a- anytime you have a, a newer car, you know, you like you can be pretty sure that on a car that's less than five years old, unless it's an American car, which are terrible. Please email Casey. 
uh, unless it's an American car, you probably will have to do almost nothing to a car in its first five years. Um, you know, just the basic. Eventually, you have to do brake pads, maybe some tires, but, you know, not much. Um, that being said, I, I did have a topic I wanted to bring up at some point, and this seems like as good a place as any. Um, we've all, at some point, owned old cars. Um, John, you spent your entire life somehow owning old cars. Um, how? What's the weirdest thing you ever had to repair or replace on, on a car that you've owned? May I go? Yeah. So I don't remember if I've told this story on the air, but if I did, I did it very briefly. Um, when I was in college, I was driving, and I know I've talked about my dad's 94 Saturn SL2, and I was going to pick up my then-girlfriend from class, and I pulled up to a stoplight, and I noticed that something felt wobbly. And I was about to make a left, and this was during class change at Virginia Tech, which is a pretty big university. And something felt wobbly when I came up to the light, but I was like, okay, that's just weird. And again, this was 94 Saturn, and this was in 2003-ish. And I go to make my left after the light turned green, and I did so very gingerly. And all of a sudden, I hear, wham! And then I realize I'm not going the direction I thought I was going anymore. I know I'm sliding on the front rotor of my car because <laughs> not only do I hear metal scraping against the blacktop, but I'm watching my front passenger tire bouncing towards the parking lot full of parked cars. <laughs> so I nearly slid into the, uh, into the curb. Thankfully, I was able to stop beforehand. Thankfully, the tire that was now a projectile hurtling towards some innocent parked cars, that stopped just before the cars. Well, come to find out the four lugs, the four posts that the wheel uh, is mounted to, shore in half, which does not happen. So yeah. <laughs> as I was driving down the road, which granted I was doing like five miles an hour, but as I was driving down the road, the tire fell off of my car. The, how? Uh, what, what car was this? My 94 Saturn SL2 sedan, oh, which Saturn. was white, I, by the way. Hey, that explains it. Yeah, it does explain that, it. I mean, that's just incredible. Like, you're yeah. driving and the wheel falls off. I mean, that's, yep. that's impressive. Thank you. I, I was pretty proud of that for like 12 seconds. And then I quickly tried everything I could to get rid of that car. And, and that's when I ended up getting the white uh, 300ZX <laughs> from my parents. Wow. Uh, so now uh, maybe I should have waited till the end. If, if I've totally shamed you two, I apologize. But oh, yeah, my I, I'm pretty proud of that more one. boring than that. <laughs> For me, it was when I had my Maxima. I, at some point, I, I don't know how this happened. Uh, honestly, I don't. Like, as far as I can tell, nothing caused this. I had to replace the windshield washer fluid tank because somehow it had cracked. And I don't even know. Like, there was no impact there was it was not any kind of accident. I hadn't gone over some kind of bad pothole. Nothing else on the car had broken around this time. Somehow, I cracked my windshield washer fluid tank. Well, Marco, when you filled it with nothing but water and you live in New York, that's going to cause it to crack. No, but that wasn't. It wasn't even. <laughs> I mean, it was like it, I, I and, and that car. Like so many things went wrong on that car. At other times, like I only owned the Maxima for something like four years, uh, but. In four years, I had to like I had to replace the calipers and the brakes twice, the pads t- three times. Uh, I, I had tons of brake problems somehow. I, I again, I really don't. I mean, I don't think I was driving it unreasonably or anything, um, and all sorts of problems. Like that. But yeah, the windshield washer fluid tank that was that was a gem. 
Uh, and then my friend, uh, his, his mother had this old Mercedes, and he had to take his driving test in this car, you know, when, he, when we were all like, well, he was 18 at the time because he, he waited forever. Anyway, so we're, we're 18, he, he's taking his driving test. This Mercedes, though, had so many weird electrical issues that in order to unlock the, uh, the driver's side door, or any door for that matter, you had to go to the back of the car and turn the key in the trunk keyhole, uh, and that would unlock the doors because no other method worked. And so he had to do this during his driving test, and the, fir- you know, the person's like, all right, well, uh, you know, the, the, the very first thing they do in the driving test is the instructor makes you go and like turn the windshield wipers on, turn the turn signals on, make sure you know how to operate the basic car instruments. And yeah, he had to go to unlock the trunk and then explain like why the turn signal was weird and all this stuff. Um, so since that, I've, I've been very wary of, of ever owning a... Uh, a luxury car that's old <laughs> because that Mercedes was in such terrible shape uh, electrically. That's surprising to me because my grandparents have had Mercedes wagons since I can remember, and they drive the crap out of those things and change the oil like once every 7,000 years, and those things have always been tanks for them. I mean, it's, I mean, every, every car is different, obviously, but I am surprised that it was an old Mercedes that had issues because every old Mercedes I've ever personally been in has been a tank. Well, I have found also that people have different uh, different tolerances for how much repair they want to do to a car and how much money they're willing to put into a car um, before they either just stop getting things fixed or get a new car. And you know, like for me, like because I have this Japanese car history, I think pretty much anything that goes wrong in a car that's not basics of like you know brakes and tires and stuff. I think any, almost anything else is weird, and I should start considering whether I want to keep this car after that. <laughs> but maybe that's just I've been spoiled by, for the most part, good cars, um, with the exception of that Maxima that just had constant weird problems that every other 90s Maxima didn't have. Uh, but somehow I, got, I had, like, a lemon in certain areas. Now, John, I have to believe you have some pretty odd repairs that you've either performed or had performed on your behalf in your day. On your car, I, I should clarify. It's mostly, I think <laughs> mostly the normal stuff. Uh, the only repair I've ever actually done on my own car was when my sister, I believe, and she doesn't listen to this podcast, so she can't refute me, but uh, <laughs> my sister and my mother were both bad at backing out of our garage where I grew up, and uh, the driver's side mirror of what would eventually become my 92 Civic got sheared off, uh, and we bought a replacement mirror, and I installed that myself because I figured how hard it could be. Uh, turns out it's much harder than you think because none of the tools we had could reach in to get the tiny little nut that you had to tighten to put the thing on. But anyway, that's not that weird, shearing off mirrors and, and uh, backing out of driveways. The weirdest one that, that I did was when we lived in Atlanta, there was a uh, gas station that had like – it was like kind of up on a hill. So the road was down level and then the little entrance, the little skirt that goes down to, to road level was quite a steep hill. And a 92 Civic does not have much ground clearance. And I turned into that gas station a little bit too fast and bottomed out the uh, the front of the car, all two inches of ground clearance or whatever it has. And I banged the uh, the, the nut that you unscrew in the oil pan to let the oil out. <laughs> I, I, oh, I banged that like it's recessed you know it's recessed and it's on an angle but apparently it, it pokes out just enough that if you slam if, if you bottom out the front suspension on a hill and slam that against the ground it just bent that the little nut inside the thing uh and it was like all right well 
is that going to be a big deal? And it would, you know, it was like a slow leak of oil, like little tiny drips. You'd come out in the morning, they'd be not a big puddle of oil, but a little puddle of oil. And you know, and you're just like, oh, do you want to get this repaired? Because you know, to repair it, it's not like they're going to be out. They're going to like go there and rethread the thing or something. They're going to replace the whole oil pan, which is significantly more expensive. And all the only problem is this nut is just a little bit bent. Uh, but every time I got the oil changed, the the leak got worse and worse. Eventually, I had to bite the bullet and say, "All right, yeah, I know it's just." replaced the whole oil pan and they did i mean maybe maybe i got ripped off maybe they could have taken out the nut and re-threaded it with a re-threading tool but i think it was like bent so that that one annoyed me because i, I the, the dripping of the oil annoyed me having to like put put extra oil in the car and always worry about leaving oil spots when you're driving around all because uh you just want to run a little bit too fast into the gas station so now yeah, so kind of to that end do you guys do your own maintenance on your cars no. No. So I do not by and large, and I use the excuse that I don't have a particularly large amount of tools and that I'm very busy, which is funny for me to say because I have no children, um, as an excuse not to do it, but I also do not typically do my own maintenance. And this is a random story that I'm, I'd like to get off my chest. One of the things that bothers me about the fact that I don't do my own maintenance is because I'm very particular about what oil I use in my cars. And I always use synthetic oil. And as it turns out, the BMW wants it anyway. But in other cars, I've always used synthetic, like in my wife's car, for example, in her Mazda. The Subaru always had synthetic. And I actually had to, this is already a, cl- a terrible white wine, but instead of going to the Subaru dealer that was five minutes from my house, I had to go to the Subaru dealer a solid half an hour away because when I used to take it in to get the oil changed, I would ask them, hey, even if you charge me for the oil that you would have used, would you please use the synthetic that I'm leaving in the car? And the dealer said, no, we have to use our oil, which I thought was the most ridiculous and obnoxious thing I'd ever heard in my life. Because I basically said, please rip me off. I'd like you to use this oil. And they said no. And so I had to drive half an hour each way just to get my darn oil changed, at a, if I chose to do it at the dealer, that is. And it was very annoying. That truly Dude, what, is a fantastic what, white wine. It is, isn't it? What are you basing the, your desire for synthetic oil on? You think like if you had regular oil, this would impact your life in some way that is measurable or noticeable by you? Like what if they what if uh, they told you they used your oil and just you know kept it for themselves for their car and put in the regular oil? That How thought would you had crossed my mind. I would not have known. And the reason I use synthetic is because my my father has said, and again, he used to be a mechanic and still is very, very good with these things. He has always run synthetic in his cars, and he is of the opinion, which maybe it's hocus-pocus, but he's of the opinion that it, it helps the cars run longer. Um, a very good friend of his who passed away recently who is an even better mechanic than my father, and my father's a pretty darn good mechanic, he swore by synthetic. I mean, all the luxury brands, to my knowledge, yeah, no, are synthetic. I, I'm not saying it's not but, better. I'm just saying, is it better in a way that you would notice? Oh, no. But the reason I ran it was because I was under the impression I would keep the Subaru forever, and then I didn't. <laughs> so, so in, in short, you're absolutely right, and there was no reason for it. <laughs> and those new mechanics were all keeping your expensive oil that you're bringing. Probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're taking it home. <laughs> like the guys yeah, who exactly. work there. And, and, and really, the other dealer who wouldn't install is actually the honest dealer, because he was protecting uh, himself. Because like, if, if someone, it's like a, a way to scam them. You bring your, your booby-trapped oil, and then you drive away from the dealer, and your engine explodes. And you say, oh, you guys destroyed my car. And you know you sue them for the cost of the car, because... Oh, yeah. It's a pretty obvious liability cover there. 
You know, like well, that's, that's, that's that's why they wouldn't do it. And they want to use their oil that they, you know that they control. They're not going to take some un, you know some stuff that some bottles provided by you. And that does sort of make sense. But I mean, I was giving them a sealed container that was clearly sealed from the factory. And yes, I know you could probably figure out a way to, to molest what's in there without breaking the seal. But still, I don't know. It just it's well, and who knows how good me. that was? Like, like you know, they don't they don't know that that oil is good for your car, or, right? Or even that it could, it could not even be malicious. It could just be you got a bad batch or something. That's that's one of the things I think that happened to me once, or the, the theory is that it happened to me once. It was having some strange problem with my car, and it was like, oh, maybe you got some bad gas from a gas station that had you know something in it or whatever. And if you just run through this tank, it'll be fine. Uh, and it was. So to that end, actually, that brings up another good question. When I had the Subaru early on, another problem I forgot about, um, it was the first car, it was a, it's a 2005 Legacy GT, and to my recollection, that was the first year of that generation. And they had some really interesting ECU problems with the turbo, where if I was under like a moderate load and under moderate throttle, the car would buck. And it took me easily six months of arguing with the dealer this is not the oil dealer this is a different dealer and saying to them no really this is an issue with the car and one of the things they did was blame the gas i was putting in it and so because of that um well i was able to argue back with them because i keep ridiculous records of for all my cars and i have an excel spreadsheet that has every tank of gas i've ever put in it really for this yes for the subaru i have every receipt for every tank of gas that's ever been in it um, because at the time I thought to myself, well, if I ever go to sell this privately, whoever, whomever I sell it to will appreciate the fact that I'm that, mis- that I'm this meticulous. Let's but, go back to selling privately, by the way. Yeah, we should. Um, and obviously I don't plan on selling privately. And so all this effort was basically for naught, but the advantage of being such a ridiculously inattentive bastard was that I could argue with them and say, no, look, I'm not putting crap gas in here. I'm putting decent gas in here. Which I don't know. Are do you guys are you record keepers in that regard? Or do you not give two craps? No, I don't keep track of that stuff. John, you disappoint me. Well, I figured I mean, if I, anyone, I saved, I saved the receipts to give to my accountant slash wife so she can track the fact that we paid for gas, and you know, no one is you know using our little mobile speed pass thing without our knowledge of getting other gas. But other than that, no, I don't track mileage. I don't, my parents used to do that. You know, write down everything and, and compute the mileage. You know, I don't do that at all. Yeah, I don't do I don't do any kind of record keeping like that either. I mean, I I figure. Uh, I mean, first of all, I, like I'm not going to sell any of my cars privately as, if I can avoid it because I will get back to that in a minute. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'd rather not sell things privately, and the dealer doesn't really care if you do if it's a lease and you have to turn it in, or if you're trading in a car to a dealer. Um, they don't care either way. The the, the price they're going to give you has nothing to do with what kind of gas you put in it, um, or where you bought it, or what kind of mileage you were averaging. They they couldn't really care less. That's true upon sale, but another thing I've understood is for the 335s, for those with the N54 engines, so that's up until, uh, I believe it's up to and including 2010, they had some major issues with the high-pressure fuel pump, and from what I've gathered, a lot of times BMW dealers would give owners a really hard time if they were putting like Costco or Sam's or Kroger or Stop and Shop gas into their cars, and they would say, oh, you're putting crap gas in here, it's not our fault. And I believe diesels, like Volkswagen diesels, had similar issues, if I'm not mistaken, where if you put crap diesel in it or whatever the case may be, and I don't really know anything about diesel, but if you put crummy diesel in it, then, oh, if your engine explodes, it's not our fault. That's one of the things I love about uh, Honda is that they've been 
holding the line on non-premium gas, like, you know, just plain old 87 octane, even, I, I believe a couple generations of Camrys required premium and stuff like really but Honda, you know, but Honda's has, has been very strongly, at least in their, not an Acura perhaps, but at least in the Honda line of sticking to, uh, you know, plain old normal octane gas. Yeah. That is very convenient when you, when you have a car that does not need premium, that's very, very nice. Yeah. I, I think the last car I owned that did not need premium was the Saturn because the Z needed it, the Subaru needed it, the BMW needs it. Actually, Aaron's car does not, but I so very rarely fill that. Uh, so it, it's effectively you know, did, not mine. I didn't actually check the 2013 Accord. I assume it still does not require premium, but I, I love not using premium. Ba- back when I was driving my parents, I, I believe the four-wheel drive minivan, uh, I don't know if it required premium. Maybe it, it required like 91, but you could put 93 in it. But I always put 93 because it wasn't my money. But as soon as, as soon as I got my own car and my own you know, gas card, I was happy that all my cars take the cheap gas. For what it's worth, I think... Please email Casey with the response to this. But I think when cars require premium, I think they usually just require ninety one. Uh, I don't. I don't think they require like ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. All those crazy ones that are ridiculously expensive. I think those are just for uh, people who think it'll matter, or people who are not using their own money. I think that's right, but I, I'm probably wrong as well. So don't email either of us. <laughs> Now, how much is gas for you guys right now, out of pure curiosity? I asked because I filled up today, and it was over $4 for premium for me, which is somewhat rare around these parts. Europe is going to email us so hard after Oh, this. God, yeah. Oh, I did not. Oh, dear God. We don't have this. health care. Oh, Leave us alone. God. I did, I did <laughs> not even think about that. expensive gas, but you have health care. Oh, yeah, that works really, 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 really long vacations. Yeah. God, that was the dumbest thing I've ever said. Thank you, John, for saving me. Oh, kind that's of. great. No, I mean oh, honestly, around goodness. around here in uh, in you know the tri-state area, uh, I almost always pay over four dollars a gallon. It's very rarely under that for for ninety one. Usually, it's like in the four twenty five, four thirty range. Um, that's that's uh, it's very rare to pay less than that. And pe- I had people telling me uh, that when I when, apparently if I when I go uh, when we go to uh, Germany with the M five that it's something like eight dollars a gallon uh, over there. Well, I was talking to my buddy Brian about that, and he had noticed, because he's going to France with his girlfriend, in uh, totally unrelated to cars, but they're going to rent, and they're going to drive around uh, France with whatever crap econo box that they get. And uh, he was saying that on Google Maps, I meant to talk to you about this, Marco, on Google Maps, I don't know if this is a Europe thing or everywhere, they actually have a price calculator. So you can tell Google Maps what kind of car you have. Is it a diesel? Is it a big car, small car? And what, approximately how much you think a gallon or a liter of gas will be or diesel and it will compute about how much it will cost for whatever journey you're about to go on which i had never personally seen but he showed me a screenshot and it looked pretty cool that is pretty cool uh, if we can break for a second to thank our sponsor uh once again it is squarespace um because squarespace hosts every podcast now uh, because they're so awesome um squarespace is an all-in-one platform for easily creating your own website and uh this past week, they launched something big. Uh, they launched Commerce, which uh, they call it a flexible and powerful e-commerce solution. Basically, it allows you to sell digital or physical goods from your Squarespace site, uh, all built into all the templates. They handle all the you know all the, the pain in the butt stuff for you. Um, it's credit and debit cards accepted. It's backed by Stripe, and Stripe is awesome. 
Um, all this easy interfaces for tracking your orders, providing email updates. You can print shipping labels if you're selling physical goods. You can handle coupon codes, um, such as using Neutral2 at Squarespace. <laughs> so um, it's really great. They've, you know, they've integrated everything, made it really easy to use. And they don't take a cut of your sales. Um, it's included just in their business plan, which is $24 a month uh, if you pay annually or 30 a month if you pay month to month. And um, so anyway, the best value ever, uh, if you buy a year or two years even, you get a free domain, uh, which is awesome. Uh, their regular plans, if you don't need the commerce stuff, start at $10 a month. And uh, we host our site there. They're fantastic. Um, if you have a blog, portfolio, a site for your business, perfect place to do it. Um, so go to squarespace.com, use offer code neutral2 at checkout, and you'll get an additional 10% off. Um, I think 10%? Yeah, something like that. 10%. Uh, it's a good deal. So uh, go check them out. Check out Squarespace. Thanks. All right. So have you guys ever sold a car privately? I have. I sold my my poor 92 Civic. Casey? No, I've not. And as, as I've mentioned briefly, but previously, I do not intend to sell the Subaru privately because I'm too lazy and don't want to deal with the headache. So, John, how did it go when you sold yours? Well, first of all, the reason I sold it, like, it was, it was an older, you know, it was a 92... And I think I replaced it. We replaced it with the 2002. So it must have, you know, been been about 10 years uh, there. I don't, I don't remember. It's so hard to tell because if you remember your car's model year, that has very little bearing on what year you bought the car. <laughs> right. It's like plus or minus one on, on both sides. Yeah. Or pro- sometimes plus or minus two. They do crazy things right. with the years. Plus, I, I tend to try to buy like the last year's model as soon as the new ones come out to get like the last of the inventory because you get a good deal. Uh, but anyway, uh, the clutch was going on it. And it was like 150,000 miles, something close to that. <laughs> Trying to take I that rem- gamble of like timing when to get rid of it by right yeah, before yeah. the clutch dies. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I know, I felt it slipping. As soon as I felt it slip, like the fully engaged clutch would slip a little bit. I was like, oh no, oh no. All right. So <laughs> I first, we went to get a new car and they didn't want it as a trade in. Like it was worthless to them. It was, it was a liability. It was zero dollars was their offer for the, for the Civic because it really was not. I mean, it was in good condition. It was clean and it had had lots of work done to it over the years, and many things had been replaced in it. But but the at the end of the day, it was uh, in 1992 a Honda Civic DX, which is the one you know the really cheap one. Nice. It had the AM FM cassette stereo and air conditioning. That's the only two options. Wait, it had AM and FM. That's right. The, and, but no, but no passenger, no passenger side mirror. Did it have roll-up windows by design? Yeah, well, yeah, no passenger side mirror. Like, if you, it was extra. That they, was they extra. Charged. Yes, on the DX, it does not come <laughs> standard with a passenger size mirror. You had That's to you, you had to pay extra for it, and my parents did not pay extra for it. And it's actually relatively expensive compared to the cost of the car. That's fantastic. I love that car, though. I love that car better than any of the better than the current Civic I have for sure. Uh, so they didn't want it. So I'm like, well, it's not worth zero. Like I looked up what it's worth and. It was worth something, so I'm like, all right, fine, I'll sell it myself. So I think it might have been Craigslist or something like that, and I took pictures of the car, uploaded it, you know, and I guess this was before Craigslist became terrible, and we had someone, you know, a couple people come and look at it, and I only remember taking one person out for a test drive, and they drove it just around my little neighborhood here, and I was like, please don't let them notice the clutch is slipping. Please don't let them notice the clutch (laughs) is slipping. And either it didn't slip or they didn't notice, Uh, and... You know, I had I had a little bit of the Casey effect going because we had like every repair we'd ever done to it and all the paperwork going through it and all the oil changes. Like we saved all that stuff, and you could see we replaced the head gasket when the water pump died, and and my wife drove with the, the uh, temperature needle on H for a really really long time. Uh, so you know, new water pump, new head gasket, new timing belt, 
a new alternator, new battery, uh, you know, fresh brakes, fresh tires. Uh, so many things we had done to this, a new radiator, uh, new spark plugs. Like, we'd taken care of it. We'd kept it up and everything like that, and it was it, it was still looking pretty conditioned, but, like, the clutch needed to be replaced, and that would have probably been much more expensive than the previous repairs. So uh, the person was buying it for, like, for their kid to, like, learn how to drive or, or something like that, and really I didn't feel too bad because, like, kid's going to destroy this thing anyway. Like, the car you learn to drive stick on is probably uh, going to get mauled. Uh, That's a great cover, though. Like, if, if you're selling somebody a car that doesn't have a whole lot of clutch lifetime left, and you're selling it to somebody who's going to learn how to drive stick on it, that's perfect. Because then if they burn out the clutch in three months, you're like, well, that's because you were learning how to drive stick on it. It wasn't my fault. Yeah, I mean, it was also, I, t- I mean, it, it's the first, I, you know, they saw all the repairs. And, like, if you don't see it in this stack of paper, that means it's original. And I believe I mentioned that probably out of guilt. You know, it's the original clutch. And the car has, like, 150000 You do the math, okay? <laughs> it's not Clutches don't last forever. Uh and not, and I wasn't the sole driver of this car. Like you know, my my whole family drove it before they sold it to me. So who knows what abuse this car had been through? Uh, but I think I got like fifteen hundred dollars for it, something like that. It was like it was below two thousand, uh, and I was very happy to get it. And it was certainly better than zero. And uh, I was sad to see that car go because the Civic they replaced it was crappy. But never heard from the person again. No problem. I think they paid with a check. And when it's like a thousand something bucks, you're not like you know didn't need to get like 18 forms of ID and a cashier's check from a bank or anything. It's just like, well, whatever, you know, we know who you are, your name and your address. And you give us a check, the check cleared. We got the money signed over the title done and done. I was perfectly happy with the experience, except for the fact that my poor civic went away from me. And actually it occurred to me that I lied. I have sold a car privately, sort of. So the 300 ZX I've mentioned in the past, I had it, I got it in 2003, 2004, when this was right after the Saturn's uh, aforementioned wheel accident, um, and so it was like six months after I got it, or eight months less than a year after I got it from my parents, that it had been in the shop so often that I decided, you know, screw it, I'm just going to go get a new car. And so I bought the Subaru, and not unlike the Subaru's doing now, the Z kind of just sat broken for a while. And eventually I took it to the local Nissan dealer to figure out what was wrong with it and potentially get it repaired. And I had said to the dealer, hey, listen, I don't want this car anymore. So if anyone wants it, I'm open. And as it turns out, one of the mechanics there did want it and bought it for some absurdly cheap amount of money, which I was fine with because I just wanted it to get the hell out of my life. Even though I loved that car, and to this day I miss that car, and I kind of wish I hadn't gotten rid of it, uh, I did, strictly speaking, sell that privately, which was the easiest sale ever because I basically said, here's the situation. It is broken. You know it's broken. Give me, I think it was like 1200 bucks or something absurd like that, and we'll call it good. And that's that was exactly too low. What I, I, th- was like, oh, I got more than that for a 92 <clears throat> Civic, and you sold like um, the Maxima is a much nicer car than that. It, it was a 300ZX. But oh, no, that's it, right, yeah. But either way. Still, I'll, I'll get to the so, Maxima in a minute. <laughs> well, and I mean, you're right, and I knew I was getting robbed, but I was okay with it because I just didn't want to deal with the hassle of it anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about like when you're selling an old car. That's If, you, if you're in the, the school of thought where you buy a car, and you keep it until it's basically dead. The basically dead is the point where you sell it. And at that point, the car is worth so little that you just want to get rid of it. And it's almost like you get like a grand or something, and you're like, wow, okay, well, the car is out of my life. I don't have to deal with it, and I have $1,000. It like you'd run every exactly bit of right. value out of, the, out of the car. Maybe you're, maybe you're 300ZX. Maybe you didn't get every bit of value out of that because it sounds like it was a little flaky. But uh, 
I, I felt like I got everything I could get out of the, the Civic. And I mean, the main reason I probably would have repaired the clutch if I was like single and wasn't, you know, starting a family or whatever. But it's just it's a very small car. It's not particularly safe. It's old. And, you know, I wanted to I wanted to upgrade. So I would if it was if I was living by myself, I was a bachelor. I would have just kept pumping money into that car because I loved it. Yeah. And the comedy of the 300ZX is when we bought it, we bought it from a friend of my dad's whom had bought the car new and the clutch was shot when we bought it and we bought it knowing full well that we would need to do the clutch. But dad being a mechanic, he and I did the clutch together, whereby I mean, he did all the work and I was a gopher right. on his behalf. And you had done the wrench. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, which by the way, it was a really cool experience doing the clutch in that car. But as a man who, and I'm speaking of my father as a man who was used to like 1970s era Buicks and, and Dodges and Chevys, to work on a car that was designed by uh, by the Japanese, where everything is squished in as into as small a place as possible, he hated working on that car with a passion. Um, but yeah, so when we bought it, it had a blown clutch. When we sold it, I forget it was something wrong with the or when I sold it, it was something wrong with the ignition that was causing it to run like garbage. And just like you said, John, couldn't agree more. I was just happy to get it out of my life. And hey, I got a couple, I got like a thousand bucks out of the deal, which is pretty sweet. Right, yeah, cuz once you once you get down to to that level of value where a car's worth like a few thousand bucks at most um then it just starts to become about timing it with maintenance you know like if it's like if you get if you get to get rid of this car before another year of putting another $1000 into it uh then <laughs> then you know it, you come at it roughly the same like that's why cars tend to have th- their pricing tends to bottom out and stay at a certain level for a while um like a, a, an 11-year-old car and a 13-year-old car, it's the same model, is going to cost about the same amount. Like, it's not going to be that different because at that point, you're just paying for occasional maintenance here and there, you know, like, or regular maintenance. But, um, you know, you're not really, like, the depreciation is bottomed out and you're just kind of riding it out until it's totally way too expensive to repair. Uh, and then you just get rid of it. Um, so anyway, with my Maxima, I, uh, I sold that privately because I wanted to go without a car for a while to help save some money. And I was living in, in uh, Pittsburgh at the time, and I, I was in a nice place where I didn't, I, I didn't really need a car. I could walk everywhere um, that I needed to go, including to work. It was awesome. I, was in a, uh, I loved Pittsburgh. It was fantastic. And uh, so I went like six months without a car, which, first of all, I would not recommend doing because if you have a gap in your insurance coverage in the U.S., I don't know how this works in other countries, but in the U.S., if you go, I think, more than 30 days without having car insurance, uh, it makes it very hard to get insurance again once you decide to resume needing insurance for owning a car. Uh, and really? you pay a higher rate, and a lot of insurers won't take you immediately. Uh, this was a problem I had. Um, I, I had I had the same problem. Uh, I, I, had, I had actually worse in Brooklyn when I moved there for a year and sold the Honda. Uh, I, it was worse because I went longer without a car. And after I moved out of Brooklyn and came up here to the, to the suburbs with my 328, uh, I had to get like I think it was, I think Allstate is who I tried first because I always had them, and they wouldn't insure me because they well we can't insure somebody who who's had a lapse in coverage. So I think they assume. If you have a lasting coverage, you're very likely to have like had a DUI or a suspension or, or you know maybe your you, your credit is shot. You're really short on money. You got to sell your car for a while. Like they they assume there's something about that that causes you to be much higher risk to insure. So uh, 
I had to first have a year on travelers because they'll take pretty much anybody on some kind of super high risk thing that I paid way too much money for. Have a year on them first and then transfer to Allstate where they would like after I had another year of some, somebody else, they would take me back. Even Geico though I had like a perfect, um, you know, I didn't check Geico. I did, that, that, that's a good question. No, say, we can't, we can't I've, get I've heard here. only terrible things about, about how a Geico responds in an accident. Um, like with repairs and stuff, I've heard I've heard the worst things in the world, um, seconded only by Progressive, who I've heard far worse things. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Progressive is terrible to deal with if you ever need to make a claim. Um, but I, I don't have any firsthand experience with that, thank God. But um, anyway, so when I sold the Maxima, uh, you know, it it was I was so tired of pumping money into things like the windshield washer fluid tank and a million sets of brakes that. Uh, I sold it, for, you know, Blue Book value on it was something like $5,000. So I asked something near that. And I took a few people on test drives. Uh, I think I did the same thing, Craigslist, you know, because it was around but not sucking yet. And uh, this was like 2004, 2005 maybe. So, uh, yeah, so the problem was it was such a time sink. Having people, like, come see the car, schedule it with them, schedule them to come look at it, take a test drive. You know, it, it took so much time. It was such a pain in the butt. That eventually, and and like and like, whenever you sell a car in the U.S. that's a stick, you're gonna have people who come all the way out to you, no matter how many times you've said it's a stick. They're gonna come all the way out there and say, "Oh, I didn't realize it was a stick. Like, <laughs> I can't drive a stick. Oops, you know." So, it, so like, there's always gonna be something like that. So, I, I think I ended up showing the car to like four or five people. I was just getting fed up. Some guy comes who was gonna auction it and and put it on a boat to. I think he said like. Uh, I think he just just vaguely said the Middle East. I assume it was a country in the Middle East that we, you know, have a good relationship with because it would probably be difficult otherwise to get cars to them. Um, So he offered me well below my asking price. I think, I think in retrospect, I think it was like thirty five hundred out of my five thousand asking price. Um, But he offered cash, and and I'm like, I was, and he just he came over, he looked at the car. I don't even think he drove it. Like, like he just he looks at it, he's like yeah, okay I'll give you you know thirty five hundred for it and uh, he just takes out this giant envelope of cash and I'm like you know what would you mind can we drive to the bank for a second <laughs> and I I drove him to my bank like up the block and uh, and I walk in and I I had him like you know wait like you know a few feet back when I was at the counter and I'm like I just go to the teller I'm like hey I'm selling my car to this guy I've never done this before can you just like look at this and deposit it and just make sure it's real and that I'm not like make sure that there's no way this can go wrong <laughs> and nice. uh cuz I, I I don't know what I was doing you know like that's that's the amount of money that I would have definitely missed um at the time and and uh you know you don't want to be scammed out of out of thousands of dollars uh so and having never done this before I was so paranoid about about getting ripped off and this guy was a pretty shady looking guy with a giant mullet who's going to put my car on a boat to the Middle East. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I had good reason, I think, to be suspicious. But, and, and, it, and it was fine. You know, it turned out it was fine. Now, one thing that we haven't addressed, though, is when financing is involved. And this is one area that I don't think I will ever tackle. I really hope I never have to. Um, because, like, if, if either the buyer or the seller uh, is involved with a loan to, to buy or sell this car, um, I would imagine the complexity in that alone, uh, and the likelihood of the of the deal falling apart, um, is probably high enough that it's not worth even engaging in those deals. 
Yeah, I actually have a bit of a story about that. And I should also uh, note that uh, we've heard this question from many people, but among the people we've heard this from was Aline Sims. And, and I wanted to mention her mostly because she was kind enough to use the phonetic pronunciation in her follow-up or in her her feedback, I should say, which was very nice. That's a pro move uh, right there. Yeah, it is a pro That's move. That's a pro podcast feedback move. See, and that's how that that's how you get attention. Uh, we're we're suckers, or at least I'm a sucker that way. Anyway, uh, but I think I mentioned in the past before, before I bought the white 335. I I had looked at a Le Mans blue 335 that a gentleman in Florida was trying to sell, and I I think I told you the ultra succinct story earlier, but the slightly longer version is it was at the time I felt like it was the perfect car, and I still think to some degree it, it was a little bit better than the one I ended up with, but. The the guy was asking, I think it was like forty grand, and so I talked to him on the phone a couple of times, and he had done European delivery, which like Marco is about to do, and I'll be tagging along. He had then had it shipped to the states as you do with European delivery, and picked it up at the uh, South Carolina BMW factory where he did the performance driving school, which I'm hoping I can that between Marco and I we can get John to meet us down there, and, and I can convince Marco to do it. Well, anyway, he had done all this cool stuff with the car. Um, he seemed like a genuinely nice guy, and, and he had told me, I'd, I'd asked her, he had told me, you know, hey, is this, do, do you own it? Do you have the title in hand? No, no, I don't, but the bank is very close. The bank that owns it is very close by. Uh, it's not like it was Bank of America. Hold on. So it's not like it's Bank of America. You know, it's, it's a local credit union and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, okay, well, why don't you let me know, you know, make sure that you don't owe more than you're asking for the car and, and let's get all that squared away and let's make sure this all works. And if it does, then I'll go ahead and book a plane ticket and we'll go down and get it. So you were going to book a plane ticket for, for this deal. It was in Florida. What That's was a risk, man. That's such a well, risk. Well, as it turns out, I, I got on the phone with him a couple days later and I was like, Hey, so did you talk to the bank? Yeah, yeah. I talked to the bank. Well, how much do you owe? And again, I think the car he, he was asking 40 or he wanted 40, and so, how much do you owe? Fifty-one. Oh. Um. How so much was it you, new? That's a lot on a three thirty-five. Well, my three thirty-five stickered for like fifty-five. Yeah, but I mean, still, how long? Did he, how long did he have it? A year, maybe two. Oh and my god! It didn't god. have a whole lot of miles on it either. Um, and it was well loaded. I mean, my 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 three thirty-five is about as loaded as they come as well, but. I mean, this was also extremely well loaded, and the Le Mans Blue, I believe, was a BMW individual color, so it was extra money. And that's so on such and so a, that forth. sucks crap, by the way. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. But so anyway, so he's and I'm probably butchering these numbers, but the dude said, "Oh, yeah, I owe 52." So I was like, "Well, do you have that money between where?" And we hadn't settled on a price yet, but I was like, "Listen, I'm not paying that much. So do you have that money?" Well, no. So you're saying the only way I'm going to uh, get this car is if I buy out the loan. Yeah, pretty much. And that was the last I spoke to him. Yeah. That, so, see, that's again, like, and, and you're lucky you at least knew that before you went down there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or before absolutely. you tried to buy the car. I mean. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's the thing. Like, I, I and this this is why I just gave the guy, or I accepted the, the cash guy's offer and why I don't even, and when I got the 1M, you know, the only, the only way to get a 1M for almost the entire time they've been available is to get them used. Um, because there were so few made, and they all went like that. So you know, you, you had to search them. And I was I was looking at, at listings for months. One of the reasons I got the one I did was because it was sold by a dealer. It was used, but it was it, and and I had to go through that whole thing about waiting for the title because it was like a small dealer. Then it was kind of a a um, 
oh, what's that word when a consignment sale kind of like that where like the dealer didn't actually own it um anyway so but it was still done through a dealer and so i was willing i was way more willing to deal with that than just some random person who says hey i got this awesome car it's a very expensive car and i've put all these aftermarket exhaust parts on it and all this crap here i'll give it to you like i don't want to deal with that at all and, and right. that's why too like i like as, as i'm selling a car too i don't want to deal with the selling as a seller either and so like when I have to, presumably when I get the M5, I'm going to trade in the 1M. I know this is massive white wine. I'm sorry. Um, and I, I could probably get more for it, almost certainly by a private sale. But I asked my dealer, I'm like, hey, you got to make me an offer on this because I really, really don't want to deal with that. I, it, I don't care how good the buyer is. I don't like the idea of trying to privately sell this 1M and tr- having to like have multiple people come see it presumably they're going to want to test drive it and i'm like it's just that sounds like such a pain to me now i don't want to have to deal with any of that and so even if i have to lose maybe a few thousand dollars on on resale that's probably going to be worth the reduction in in time stress and uh and risk i don't blame you i mean that's why i'm planning on giving the subaru well not giving but selling the subaru to a dealer to you know, to a CarMax or equivalent, because I just don't want to deal with it. But the interesting thing is, you know, I, I don't even really know what to advise. Like, let's say you're in a position where uh, you you own a car or you don't own it yet. You have a you have a loan on a car that you're trying to unload privately. I, I'm I'm at a loss for what I would even recommend doing, especially in the case of let's say you have the loan through some national bank where you can't just go down to the local branch in order to get a title. Because on the other end, if I was to buy a car like that, I mean, one of the conditions I had with this guy that I didn't end up buying from was that I was like, hey, listen, I've got to have the title before I give you all this money or, you know, or we've got to do it all in one shot because otherwise it's just not going to work for me. And so if you don't own your car outright and you're trying to sell it and you still have a loan, I don't even have the faintest idea what you could do to make your your situation any more appealing. I mean, John, have you, you? I presume you've never run into any of this, have you? No, I mean, like you know, but selling my ancient cars, that, <laughs> like that I got from my parents, so there was no financing on there. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do the same thing when I sell the, my current 2002 Civic. Uh, I wanna I wanna trade it in, but for all I know, the dealer is gonna say we don't want a 2002 Civic; it's a piece of crap. And then I'll have to decide: do I try to sell this to private? I look up what blue book value of this car is, or Try to get you know one of those one of those things like CarMax or something that will take the car, but yeah, I just want to I just want it to go away, and I'm hoping it's worth something. To, but I, I just assume it's it's worth zero dollars when I'm going you know I'm, I'm planning on replacing it with a an Accord, I guess, and uh, I'm assuming it does not contribute anything to me buying that Accord. And if it contributes a little bit, then fine. But yeah, I don't I just don't want the hassle. I would love to just be able to trade it in. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. And actually, it's kind of speaking of my recent car purchase, I wanted to briefly weigh in on the beginning of the talks conversation about buying. And so, you know, I bought the Subaru new, we bought my wife's Mazda new, we bought the BMW used, um, we have financed and not financed cars. And I, and I have to tell you, in my personal opinion, the best way to buy a car is lightly used. And if you have the money, pay for it outright. And the reason I say that is because hopefully if it's lightly used, you have a little bit, little bit of warranty left, or perhaps depending on the car, you may even have a little bit of the maintenance plan left. And buying it outright is extremely liberating because then you never, ever, ever have a car payment, which is extremely, extremely cool. And 
And I hope I don't sound ridiculous when I say this, because I assure you that I have it is not an often occurrence that I would buy a car outright. Um, we, we are no more affluent than a- anyone else our age. But, it, you know, if you save and if you plan for it, I, I absolutely advocate for doing that if possible or putting down a very healthy down payment because then it just makes your – it's one less thing to stress about. And one of the reasons I don't like the idea of leasing is that I really dislike owing people money. And I'm not saying that, Marco, that you do, but to me, that's just I owe somebody money. And that, that, that I don't like that. I, you know, I always pay my credit cards off on time. You know, the only outstanding loan we have right, right now, I believe, is our, is our um, mortgage. And I just – I don't like the idea of owing somebody. And so I'm a little surprised, Marco, cause knowing you as well as I do, that you're – that, you, that that doesn't bother you that way as well. Well, and normally having a debt over my head does bother me. I'm the same way. I hate, right, I right. hate debts. Like one, so I, I, as a totally off topic thing, I, I run the magazine, my, you know, this magazine for nerds like us. And uh, every issue that comes out, I have to pay the writers that were in it. And one of the things I hate the most is having to go to bed the night after I published it without having paid somebody because like, I don't have their address yet or some, some problem like that where like I can't pay you yet because normally I try to pay everybody immediately upon publication or even the day before usually just because I want this – like this money is not mine. It's over my head. Like when I pay – I pay estimated taxes every month to the IRS even though you only, you only have to pay them every quarter. I pay them every month because to me that money that's come in as income that month that's allocated for taxes, that's not my money. I don't – like I don't want to be holding on to it, <laughs> you know? Right, so right. like – I definitely do feel that about debts. For whatever reason, maybe because of the way it's structured, I don't know, for whatever reason, a lease doesn't feel like a debt to me. And I know technically it is one, but because like, it's more like a long rental. It, like it's, you know, like, like because the end of it is defined. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm buying this car and then I'll sell it sometime for whatever it's worth at the end. I'm saying... I'm going to have this car to do mostly whatever I want to for this period of time for this price spread across monthly payments. And and so it doesn't really feel like a debt. It feels more like well, like a lease, like 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 an apartment lease. You know, like okay, I'm paying to have this thing for this amount of time and uh, and then at the end I I don't get it anymore. Like it, it's it really just does feel like a long rental. And I, again, I know technically it is probably considered a debt by by most measures, but it just doesn't have that feel. You guys just need to buy cheaper cars because you know I, I don't. I think we did financing on our cars, but only because the rates were so low. But we could have paid cash for like our first Civic. We had the money. It was just like, but the the the, uh, the, the whatever the interest rate on the loans was so incredibly low. We're like, well. Uh, if we paid for it, it would, you know, drain a lot of our savings down. So we'd rather just pay a small amount of interest, you know, so that we didn't have any cash flow problems. If some emergency came up, we would have the money liquid and ready to go. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, if you, if you buy inexpensive cars, there's no reason you can't just pay cash for them. Right. And especially <laughs> and that, these and days. That is, and, when... and that is refreshing to just, you know, to be free and clear when you bring the thing home and not have to worry about like, you know, if you're doing if you're doing a budget to figure out what you have to put out each month or whatever, uh, you can just like set aside. You know, it, it, it's the question of do you would you rather have another monthly payment on top of your current monthly payments and then like have to deal with the, the interest that you're paying on that, or would you rather just save for the ten years that you own your previous car and then when it's dead, uh, take that money that you saved and buy the new car, right? Because I mean, 
it's cheaper to it's cheaper to pay it outright because you don't have to pay interest on the loan. And even when the interest is low, you know, like 0.9% or whatever, it still adds up over the, the life of the car. So, uh, But for expensive cars, it's, you know, unless you're ridiculously rich, no one's plopping down. Although I think I, the friend of mine who has a hundred and something thousand dollar car, I'm assuming he paid cash for it because he just saved like his whole life for that car. And then, you know. It depends on your priorities, right? If you're single <laughs> and you just you say, I have a good job. I've been working for many, many years and I've saved, put all my money aside into the uh, supercar fund. And then you just come in and say, oh, here you go. Paying cash. Yeah. And, and actually, I am no financial planner or analyst or anything like that. But one of the things that I think was brilliant that, that we did was when we did have two car loans, after the first one was done, we immediately took all of that money and just dumped it into the other car. And we ended up paying off but because we were already overpaying on the first car. And so we ended up paying off both the cars considerably earlier than, than our loans required us to. And I will never forget, I, I looked at Aaron one day, not too long after we had finished the second car. And I said to her, geez, you know, I'm getting a little worried that I'm doing bills wrong because I feel like we just have a little bit more money laying around than we ever used to. And then it occurred to me, oh, that's because we're not putting whatever the number was, like $1,000 a month into these two darn car loans. And so I, I would absolutely say if you can buy it free and clear, just like John and, and you and I both said, I, I, I would absolutely do it. And the other thing I wanted to bring up or, or build on is I'm very, very, very glad that we got one new car each. And if you have the money, I absolutely recommend it. It's pretty cool to know nobody has ever screwed around with your car before you. Um, but that being said, uh, having gotten the BMW used, knock on glass, because that's what my desk is made of, uh, it, it, I of don't course. have a problem with it. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. And I, I'm very glad that we did get the BMW used, because candidly, if I were to try to buy a 335 new, there's no way I could afford it. So, And I think Marco, one of you guys, I thought it was Marco, said something about this a show or two ago, but it let me get into a class of car that I may not have otherwise been able to. And the car is in great shape. I mean, it has a blemish here and there, and there's a, you know, there's a couple of minor cosmetic dings, but that would happen even dings, if you bought it new. That would happen even if I bought it new. So, if you have the means, yes, absolutely buy new. But I really, really am glad that that we got the BMW used, and I don't know that I'll ever buy a new car again unless I'm just Scrooge McDuck style swimming through money. Well, I and, hear there's so, a lot of money in podcasts. Yeah, oh, really? Because I haven't seen any. What's up? <laughs> no, all kidding aside. I mean, it, it, it's cool if you can do it. I'm glad. I'm very glad that both Aaron and I, especially Aaron, because she had always dr driven really old cars. I'm glad that we both got the chance to get new ones. But I would absolutely say if you find something you like used, especially if it's a little bit better than what you would be able to afford new, do it. I, I don't have any regrets yet. And like the 1M is another good example because that you, just like you mentioned, you bought used and, and well, I mean, maybe that's a little different because it's impossible to find new, like you had said. Right. Well, but, but also, I mean, you haven't had any issues. That's true. However, first of all, it's still very young. The car is only about a year old. Um, that's true. And, and, but the thing is with that car, because it's both, you know, both A, I, I own it, I'm not leasing it, so I have to consider a resale value of fluctuations, uh, and B, because it's like this collectible rare car, I am really scared about damaging that car. Like I, I have a level of paranoia and nervousness about that that I really didn't think I would have. And uh, like I'm, I'm very, very scared of damage. I'm so paranoid. And like uh, you know, I'll take out my 328 in any conditions, 
uh, you know, as long as it's safe to drive at all, I'll take it out. Whereas the one M, I'm like, mm, you know, it's it's raining slightly, <laughs> or like, you know, there I I'm driving to some place where there might be a pebble on the road. Like, I'm 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 so paranoid about it that I'm I'm not able to enjoy it as fully as I probably should. That's why, Except like, that- when it came time to decide what my next car was, with the M5, I didn't even consider buying it or or financing it. I didn't even consider that. I said I will I will only get an M5 if I can lease it. Because I don't want the stress of that and ridiculous you're gonna, car. You're not going to be paranoid driving that thing around. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's so, 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 for some reason the one M is like, oh, I don't want to drive over a pebble. But the M5 is like, ah, oh, it's just like an everyday car. Well, because because <laughs> it's going to be my everyday lease. That, I mean, I I know this is ridiculous. It's but still going to be an M5. <laughs> right. I'll be nervous for like the first month until I get the first scuff on it somewhere, and then then I won't worry about it because it's a lease. Like that's the beauty of leasing. I would never in a million years feel comfortable buying this m5 and having that having that like hanging over me as this thing i have to make sure i don't cause much damage but to the, you're missing out with the leasing is like having that decade-long relationship with a car where it becomes kind of like a family member and you're like you kind of you know you kind of break it in and you know that that's a fun thing to do and it, i don't know if m5s are geared towards that because they may end up they may end up being a little finicky and kind of uh temperamental and not the kind of car that you uh break in over the course of a decade or so but who knows maybe they are but you'll never get a chance to find out because three years it'll be out your door see i'm just i'm not that sentimental about about getting to know one car for a while well you've never committed to a relationship with a car (laughs) (laughs) the same thing is you're you're right though john because i mean as much as i beat on the subaru i'm gonna i'm gonna be sad when it goes i haven't driven it since i've i mean i've driven it like twice since i've gotten the bmw but i'm still gonna miss the subaru in my old weird when in my own weird way when it's gone like i so like i told you earlier i didn't even have the z that long it was in the family for like five years but i personally didn't own it for that long and i still to this day miss that car and Aaron, before she had her, uh, or before she got her Mazda, she had a 1991 Dodge Spirit, which probably cost thirteen dollars, rolling off the showroom <laughs> floor. And in its defense, that little bastard started every single time, even if we hadn't touched it for months. But she cried when that car left, and I actually was a little bit sad, even though I hated that piece of crap. Uh, it, it, you're right, John. It just kind of becomes part of the family, and and you don't really get that with Elise. Which isn't necessarily bad, but you are kind of missing out in your own little way. Well, I'm I'm missing out on that, but I'm also missing out on all the downside of all that. You know the the yeah, unpredictability, the, right. the, the 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 as as John said earlier, the car lottery of you know is this is this one going to be a lemon? Like is this one going to require way more maintenance than it should? Um, like and, once again, these are all perfect analogies to children, you know, <laughs> or, 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 or pets. Pets is a, another one because you know the pets are going to die before you. So it's like, well, like what do I get? Am I going to get? Is this is this dog going to have some weird disease? Uh, and then eventually it's going to die, and that's going to be sad. And you never know, like. But you still do it because, you know, the the relationship is worth it. So I think eventually, Marco, you should settle down with a nice car for the long haul. Well, in fact, <laughs> one of the – this is going to sound ridiculous now, but, um, you know, with the 328, I, I leased it. Um, I, I was not able to afford it with a whole lot of headroom at the time, uh, and and so I, I – I cheaped out on some of the options. Like I didn't get the iDrive. I didn't get the 335. Um, like there, there's a few. I didn't get the Xenons. You know, like there's a few things that I didn't get on it. And you mean all the things I told you to get that yes. you now regret? Yes. 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so there, like, so when when the idea came up about a year ago, okay, well, I got to start thinking about maybe what I want to do next when this lease is over. Um, I did consider just buying it, but I immediately ruled that out because, like, if I'm going to buy a car, I'm not going to buy this car. Like, I'll buy one that's fully out. So one thing I did with the M5 is I equipped it such that I'd be happy buying it if it came down to that. So I, I'll just see it. When you have a lease, you have that option, unless you have an EV1. But otherwise, you have that option. <laughs> and you, you, know, you, can just, you can live with it for three years and then decide, okay, do I want some more time with this car or not? And, and that, I think, again, it's, it's the flexibility you have with a lease. You, know, you don't have the flexibility in, in mileage or some of the things you can do to it, but you have tremendous um, flexibility in, you know, you want to own this car for, for three years and then just decide, decide then what you want to do with no financial risk really involved. Well, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what the first week of ownership is like and then what it's like once it gets off the boat. And it's totally not like leasing a puppy. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there are all, there are risks, and you never know what you're going to get, and it's probably going to have a sad ending. But uh, the time you have it, you know, you want to have that long term relationship. You don't want to just keep returning the puppy every three years. 